the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here today on Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. What the Bible says is on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So the root of obedience must be love. That's where your problem in mind comes in. Because we love people in our head, but we don't love them with our hands. On college campuses all around America, there are professors of theology and religion who don't believe the truths of the Bible. (laughs) You ask, how can that be, right? Well, it's possible to know a lot about the Bible and various religions without actually believing them or the truth. You're tuned in to Way of Grace, the outreach ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward. I would invite you to open your Bibles now to Acts chapter 3 as we catch up with our teacher and pastor Jessica Stan for this edition of Way of Grace. You and I fail in Adam. We fail by the instigation of the devil. And we fail because of the propensity of our sin. And having fallen over, we have ceased to now operate in the dignity and calling of God's image for which he created us. God did not create us to be laying over on our sides like Dagon. You remember Dagon? Remember Dagon? He tried to contend with the true and the living God. God broke up his fingers and his leg and his butt. He broke his butt. That's the original language. He broke his butt. And he fell over because he had no butt. God's, God's got a sense of humor. Knocked him down. But you and I were Dagons before God redeemed us in Christ. We were falling over idols, helpless, until the resurrection of our soul. So anastasis is the Greek word. Ana is a preposition also that's almost like re. To stand again is what the resurrection means. So when God made us born again, he raised us up spiritually. Now we walk in the dignity of a mind that's like Christ because we recognize our sonship. Am I making some sense? This is the way God described the people of Israel going out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. I led you out upright, standing up with your head high as you walk through the Red Sea because I restored you to the dignity of sonship in Jesus Christ. Remember, Adam, one is a son. Israel, too, is a son. Jesus Christ is the authentic son. And so this is what the idea of restoration means. And restitution means it means to be raised up again. Apple is a strong preposition, and it means to be away from. So what that means is when God raised us up, Stasis, when he raised us up in this restitution process, he raised us up where we were in our fallen state, and he removed us from the sphere of that danger and put us somewhere else. Where he put us 
was in the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ. For we were in the kingdom of darkness. That's Colossians chapter 1. He had translated us out of the kingdom of darkness. First, he raised us up. Okay, that's Stasis. Then he moved us, that's Apple, away from that place. And then he established us, that's Kata. Kata is a preposition, means to establish. All right, to establish. And he established us in the kingdom of his dear son. Apple, Kata, Stasis. That's good stuff, you just don't know. You just don't know, that's good stuff. And the Greeks, boy, they love to attach prepositions, apokatastasis. What are you? You are an apokatastasis. <laughs> if people trip off that, let them trip. I'm an apokatastasis, brother. After a while, you can just say that pretty good, apokatastasis, apokatastasis, apokatastasis. That's what we are, an apokatastasis. We are the restitution that God has implemented in his salvation plan. And so I want to just share with you a couple of verses around that Um, restitution in this context means to fully restore and actually beyond. That is presently taking place right now. The law is given to us in Exodus 22, 12. I'm going to give us three spheres of it. First in the law, because virtually everything that's in the gospel is established in the law as a principle uh, of conduct because God has called his people to understand how they should live. Problem is we're sinners. And so we don't live like we ought to. And in violating God's law, God has to be counterintuitive and act towards us in a way of what? Redemption. So the law comes and says, this is how you ought to act. So in Exodus chapter 22, verse 12, listen to the language. Start back at verse 11. Then shall an oath of the Lord be between two persons. Now you see that phrase up there, that first line up there? Then shall an oath of the Lord be between two persons. Here's, a, here's an assumption that you have to establish when you're reading the, the Bible. This is why you have to learn theology. You cannot be lazy. You have to learn theology. And you have to learn it in the process in which you learn your ABCs and your mathematics and every other discipline. Because you have to be able to understand context. So the context is God is talking to his covenant people. Remember, we received the covenant in Exodus 20, didn't we? Where God laid down in Exodus 20, this is how you ought to act towards me. This is how you ought to act towards one another. Isn't that right? So, and then the folks said, yeah, Lord, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we're going to act. Hoping that God was done. But God said, no, I'm not done. I got a whole bunch more to say because I'm getting ready to explain to you very practically how you are to work out these 10 words. So he gave them explicit practical commands as to, as a peculiar nation, how to conduct themselves with each other in commerce and in business and in every affair, agriculturally, civilly, and religiously. Am I making some sense? In other words, what the Bible says is, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So the root of obedience must be love. That's where your problem in mind comes in. Because we love people in our head. But we don't love them with our hands. Watch. So here are the two people who are under covenant, right? These two brothers are under covenant. That's the phrase. Then shall an oath of the Lord be between them both. See, God has laid down his covenant and they are under covenant to deal with each other as citizens of God's kingdom. Now watch what it says. 
that he hath not put his hand unto his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept thereof, and he shall not make it good. In other words, two people are arguing. One brother said, man, I lost my donkey. I actually think you took it. Because I saw the way you was looking at it last week, and I just, I just think you took it. And the brother said, man, I swear I didn't take it. I'm a Christian just like you. I swear, I didn't, I swear before the Lord I didn't take it. And, and, and if the brother who is under suspicion of having uh, thought that he took it has no credible evidence to further the case, he has to leave it alone. Are you guys hearing me? In other words, baseless suspicions without being grounded on empirical fact and a careful examination of the uh, potential evidence of someone having done something to you would not demonstrate love. It would demonstrate carnality. For carnality is filled with baseless suspicions of people doing something to you or against you, and there's no merit there. This is the battle of Galatians chapter 5 when it says, now the works of the flesh are these. Jealousy, envies, evil suspicions, doubts, narrow eyes, evil eyes. He just looked like he took it. No basis whatsoever. You all jacked up inside. And so, so love is not operating. You guys understand that love's not operating because love, love, love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love does not hold false and baseless accusations against his neighbor. It just doesn't do that. Oh, we getting to work. Are we getting to work? Because we call ourselves Christians and boy, we're as carnal as a goat, aren't we? Violating God's commandments. So he said under the law, this is what you do. Now, if your brother didn't do anything, let him roll. Leave him alone. Now, you know what's beautiful about those commands in the Old Testament? Here's what it required. It required, first of all, the principle of love, but it also required the fruit of faith. Remember, faith works by what? Can I keep talking for a minute? Um, Faith works by love. What, what that means then is when I read God's holy law and his standard for conduct and obedience among the citizens in the commonwealth, what I am understanding is I have to believe that God's got my back. I have to believe that God's got my back. If my professing Christian brother is a hypocrite and he actually stole my donkey, God's going to expose him soon enough. Am I making some sense? But I have to work on my own heart because if I have no credible evidence, what God is doing is testing me over against his lordship in my life and calling me to rest and rely upon God's covenant blessings in my life to take care of me. I don't have the right to work through and gnaw out and be suspicious and unending arguments and debates and sneaking around to see if he did this or did that. Since the Lord watches over all of Israel... He never slumbers nor sleeps. Is that true? And he says he's got my back. So I can actually go to sleep even if my neighbor is a crook. Because God has not given me the revelation. The revelation he gave me is to rest. And that's what I do when I go to bed at night. Besides a few other things. But that's what I do when I go to bed at night. I rest in the true and the living God. Do you? Because what can I do while I'm asleep? You know what I'm saying? If the thief is going to come and break in while I'm asleep, what can I do? I can't do nothing, can I? I have to trust that God is watching me and mine, don't I? While I sleep. I have to believe that there's a watchman that does not need to sleep while I need sleep and I be needing sleep. 
And you know how we go into that third depth of sleep? We have to have somebody watching, don't we? And so going to sleep is a kind of faith that's based on love because I'm committed to the reality that a covenant-keeping God will watch over me and watch over mine. And he has done that these umpteen years. Even while somebody is already preparing to break into my house, he will thwart their plans. He will halt their purposes. He will frustrate their goals. He will send them to flight while his servant sleeps. Because he's calling me to believe him. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? So let me go to the next verse. Verse 12. Here it is. Here's it. And if it actually be stolen from him, he shall make what? Restitution. Uh-huh. You was a crook. Yeah, you was the one. I, I knew it. I knew you was the one, man. Now, it's interesting because, you know, I, re- I told you I was in Jamaica about 100 years ago preaching in a conference and and as soon as I got off the plane they said pastor you better watch everything you got here in Jamaica because they take everything that's not nailed down and I didn't believe it you know I didn't believe I was a young preacher too maybe I might have been in my 30s maybe I might have still been in my 20s but uh so I didn't have a lot of money then anyway you know but I you know we were at the conference and uh they were doing all of the protocol, watching the people, and all these religious folk came in there, the big old building full of folks, church folk everywhere. I'm, you know, I'm thinking I'm in a good environment, and the pastor's wife uh, was sitting down on her seat while the whole uh, conference is taking place, and all you hear her say in the midst of the crowd is, give it back. <laughs> give what back? She told us afterwards that she had sat her purse down right by her and uh, went to the bathroom or something, came back, and she was going to give her $100 in the offering, you know, and the $100 was gone. She sat there for a minute and prayed. <laughs> she prayed, and then she turned to the right and looked at the woman and said, give it back. <laughs> Honest to goodness, truth. And she gave it back. (laughs) She gave it back. She gave it back. I'm telling you, she gave it back. That's a verse right here. That's a verse. That's a verse. (laughs) You know, you get caught like that. You know the Lord's in that. Just give it up. Because you may not even make it to jail. Not in Jamaica. You may not make it to jail. She blessed me like I don't know what. She blessed me like I, because see, we ain't in heaven. We in church, but we're not in heaven. I told you when we first started Grace, folks were still in my clothes out the bathroom. I'm still looking for my brand new white felines right now. Can you, I, I'm walking down like, oh, preachers, and who, which one of these youngsters got my felines on? <laughs> Let me catch that youngster in my size 11 and a half felines. I'm going to be in his case. They were brand new. I set him on the bathroom counter, jumped in my clothes, running up to preach, you know. And this is the men's bathroom. So, uh, I, you know, I was waiting for restitution all those years. All I wanted was him back. That's all. I wasn't going to do nothing to him. Right, just give him back. But see, I had to trust the Lord, didn't I? This is what restitution is. And so the idea of restitution is that something is stolen or defrauded and taken from us and it's rooted in the law. Go with me now in your Bible to Matthew 17. Verse 11, let's go to the New Testament and hear 
the, uh, the gospel and the prophetic full, uh, fulfillment of what is written in the law. Because law issues, while they had a practical, very, very practical application, are always, ladies and gentlemen, spiritual at their core. While the law always has a very practical application, they are spiritual at the core. This is why Paul, who was a lawyer and a theologian and a philosopher, that's what it meant to be a Pharisee, he was a lawyer, theologian, and philosopher, would say in Romans chapter 7, uh, the earlier part, the law is spiritual. He would say the law is spiritual. In other words, the law was not simply an external code that you kept in terms of practical application. It really targeted the heart. So every one of God's Old Testament precepts was really uh, a precept that targets the heart and raises the question, is your heart right? Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not just, you know, love your neighbor and then you find a list of external things to do. No, love your neighbor means you have to regard him as you regard yourself. You guys are both eternity bound souls. And so you want to uh, see his highest good as you would yours. That's what love would be. It's not just say hi to your neighbor and, you know, take out his garbage can if he forgets to do it at night. You have to pray for your neighbor. You have to seek opportunities for your neighbor to come to know God in Christ. That's what real love is. Am I making some sense? And so the law is always targeting the heart. The relationship that God has with his servants is in the heart. So from the heart do we believe that form of doctrine that was delivered unto us by which we are saying. Now watch what Jesus said. Go back to verse uh, 10. I want to get the context. And his disciples asked him saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? That's Elijah. Because the scribes were very much like our present day theologians, wrapped up in an eschatology that was very carnal and earthly. I just want, I'll just lay it out to you. I see the parallel so clear, clear in my present generation. This is why you hear me espouse a very Christocentric eschatology. But the Pharisees in their day were looking for a political kingdom manifestation. And I've told you that there are four manifestations to the kingdom. There was the patriarchal manifestation. Then there was the theocratic manifestation. We are in the ecclesiastical manifestation. And then there's the final glorification of the kingdom of God. There's one more manifestation. They never saw the mystery of the gospel in the Old Testament, which would be the church. Because Israel simply thought that they would be the perpetuation of a theocratic kingdom when Messiah would come, sit on his physical throne, and run the world from Jerusalem. That's what they thought. And this is what the disciples even thought, even up to Acts chapter 1. So they're saying, when, what do they mean by Elias must first come? Now you guys know this statement comes out of both <clears throat> the book of Kings as well as Malachi chapter 4. The last of the Old Testament prophets, Malachi means messenger, the last of the Old Testament prophets said Elias is coming, didn't he? And he is coming. And yet, just like today, what the Pharisees and the scribes thought that was Elias was going to be uh, resurrected or reincarnated and come back physically to dwell in the earth during a time in which there would be a restoration process. Look at what it says. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall come first and do what? Restore all things. Now, I want you to mark what's getting ready to take place. You're going to learn some things. Our word restore, restitution are two sides of the same coin. Their root word is exactly the same. 
Jesus says, Elias truly shall come first. He's responding to the prophecy of Malachi 4, and he's responding to the assumptions that are being made by the rulers that Elias is coming, right? They are taking a very hyper-literal grammatical interpretation, failing to understand the theological and redemptive uh, interpretation of Scripture, which would cause Scripture to have its fulfillment in Christ instead of in Israel. There is at least five fundamental hermeneutical principles for sound biblical teaching. A literal, historical, grammatical, theological, and redemptive hermeneutical principle. Without this set of principles, you fail to see the scriptures the way Jesus saw them and the way Paul saw them. Are you hearing me? Without a theological and redemptive paradigm, you will miss Jesus in the Old Testament and you will not understand how the New Testament uh, uh, interprets the Old Testament passages in the Christocentric way that they do. Now watch what Jesus is getting ready to do. This is a hermeneutic our master is about to use, of which most of my present day theologian brethren do not agree with. Jesus is getting ready to make Elias John the Baptist. Isn't that right? He's getting ready to take Elias and make him John the Baptist. Now, with a literal historical grammatical rule of interpretation, you can't do that. All right? There's no grounds for it. When you buy into that method of interpretation, we call that hyper-contextualizing. Hyper-contextualizing. It means to fail to understand an underlying hermeneutic by which the context really is serving to fulfill something superior. Hyper-contextualizing is when you're bound to the context only. But the scripture does not submit us to that hyper-contextualizing. Yes, understand the context, but also understand its ultimate prophetic purpose. Remember the rule, right? Lo, I come in the volume of the book is written of who? You are searching the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which what? Testify of me. So you always ask the question, how does this verse point to whom? Always. Or you are not done with your exegesis. You are not done with your exegesis. You see what Jesus is doing? He's bridging the gap between the old and the new. And he's going to show us how God had always meant for Elias to simply be a code name for John the Baptist. You know how we have aliases and AKAs and all that stuff? That's not new with God. Elias is a code name, but I say unto you that Elias is come already. Now, who's talking? Jesus is talking. Now, they're looking for Elias, but Elias has already come. And they did not what? Just like they didn't know Christ. Now, watch this. But have done unto him whatsoever they have will. What did they do to him? They killed him. Isn't that right? Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Who is he talking about? The Jewish people. Because we know according to Luke's gospel that uh, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, didn't he? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. That's a restoration process. Am I making some sense? What did John the Baptist do? He made straight the path for the master to come by telling everyone Jesus is on his way. And in his preaching and in his teaching, the spirit of God worked to turn the hearts of men back to God. That's a restoration. 
You know what that means? You and I are going through restoration. Are we not? The restoration is first deeply internal. That's where the work is taking place. We are being restored from within, not without. In our soul, not our bodies or our circumstances or our culture. We are being restored in our mind. Are you hearing me? This is the restoration that's taking place. And on that note, we will close out today's broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand, the ministry of Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward. If you have questions about our broadcast, maybe you would like to spend some time with us worshiping the Lord. We would love to see you. You can get all of that information and reach out to us through our website at grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Listen to past sermons as well as guest preachers. Again, at our website, grace-bible.com. We'll even let you have any of the notes, sermon notes, that are available from these sermons as well. Again, there's an awful lot of resource material available at our website, grace-bible.com. If you'd like to reach out to us by phone, our number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. Sunday services here at the church are at 1030. Friday evening Bible study is at 6.30, Tuesday prayer and Bible study again at 6.30, directions and information again at our website grace-bible.com or by calling 510-886-9782. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with this ministry as we reach out to the Bay Area and the world (laughs) on the World Wide Web? We do so because we are linking arms with other listeners such as yourself. This is a listener-supported ministry. Your gifts, no matter the size and no matter the volume, are great help as we continue this ministry called Way of Grace. Consider that as you reach out to us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.